Hello, and welcome to episode two of Three Talk Truth. I'm Kim, and our topic today is anointed worship. And what we are wondering and what we'd like to explore today is, are worship leaders anointed or do they have a special anointing? And that's what we'd like to talk about today. I have with me my daughter and my son-in-law, Tilo. I'm not your daughter and son-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> Just do your daughter. Maybe we do what it says. <laughs> my daughter and son-in-law. <clears throat> and we're not talking about transgenderism right now. <laughs> he did not have a surgery. As usual, I have with me my daughter, Bree, and my son-in-law, Tilo. So, I'm not sure if you remember this, but um, Tilo has been a worship leader for almost 15 years. And we're really excited that Tilo will share some of his personal experiences in being a worship leader. We'd like to look into the biblical meaning of anointing, especially how it relates to worship, but also just in general. So, to get the ball rolling, I'd love it if you, Tilo, would tell briefly how you became a worship leader. Well, there's uh, not that much to tell, but I'm going to try my best anyway. So, in 2002, I became a Christian through the work of some American missionaries that moved into our neighborhood in the eastern side of Berlin, and I was just 17 years old. So, right from the beginning, I kind of started helping out in the small groups and helping out worshiping um, with a guitar or just singing vocals or helping to prep the songs, which songs we're going to do, um, mostly topical. Did you already play the guitar at that point? I started playing the guitar and at that time like, was already asked to help out with the guitar too because okay. I advanced pretty quickly, mm. I guess. Um, then... At some point, the American missionaries, uh, after their work, so to say, was done in east of, in the east of Berlin, uh, they left and went back to the States, most of them, and kind of handed over the church to some German leaders that came in. And then I was basically asked to then step up to um, have or lead a worship team in the church services. So um, then, yeah, every second Sunday, I would then lead worship with people besides me helping out with instruments and vocals. But I basically had the hat. That's what we say in German, at least, you know, had the hat hat on on my head. I don't know if I can say that or maybe I should say something different. You wore the you hat. I, I wore thought the hat. that was good. Good. Yeah. Okay, cool. However, yeah, so. I think it's great, Tilo, that they allowed you to do that at such a young age. And, and I know just from knowing you, that the Lord used that time to grow you as a worship leader. So it's pretty exciting. It is really cool. So I've been in um, several different churches in my life. And oftentimes, you know, the people who were on front, on stage, were seen as some as quite special. Were you seen as special or elevated because you were picked out um, to lead worship for small groups and then ultimately in the main church? As far as I can remember... Um, from the very get-go of my Christian life, basically, uh, when I came to Christ for the first time when I was 17, I was basically one of the first ones who came to Christ. And then because of that, I was had already a special um, place in the church and, uh, of course, was seen as 
somewhat of a prodigy um, to maybe further on the church and grow the church and help with not only worship, but maybe even um, part-time, full-time ministry in the future when I would grow older, let's say into my tweens. And uh, that never happened uh, to that extent. But uh, until then, until I left that church at some point, um, I was basically handed um, somewhat of authority to lead that worship team and somewhat of uh, um, just trust right? People trusted me with these people mm-hmm. and lead them into, let's say, the presence of God and, and just in, just, just in worship in general in the service. So, um, and that automatically, like being in front of people makes you somewhat special, but you know, our church wasn't that big. So 20 to 30 people, um, everyone there's knows everyone and everyone's suddenly special, you know, like yeah. everyone is important because mm-hmm. we're all steering the ship together. That's how it felt at least. And I guess that um, made it, um, made me feel special in a sense, but not, not the only than, one, right? right. That, that was right. like, wow, you are amazing. Even though people would say that and I would say it about others too, however. Yeah. It sounds to me like it was pretty healthy then. I was going to say. Yeah, it seemed like... very balanced. That's good. Felt very Great. balanced. That's good. Now Church to look experience. back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So shortly after we met you, you began leading worship for Burn 24-7. And I remember almost right from the start, your slots were pretty popular. Do you remember when in your life, when you maybe first started hearing that your worship leading or your worship time was anointed? Right. So maybe for um, you who's listening and you don't know what the Burn 24-7 is really briefly, it is like basically a time once a month in a certain city in the world, uh, wherever that would be, anywhere in the world nowadays, you have those burned 24-7 prayer and worship times, um, basically focusing on worship mainly, and it would go from 6 to 24 to 100 hours consecutive worship. So every two hours, there would be another worship leader, and I would take part in that, like from the very get-go in Berlin, as Bree just said. So... Yeah, I felt like there was something about, um, let's say, my sets, that's what we called them, those two hours, because the room would fill up really quickly when I was starting to lead worship, and people came up to me afterwards and said, wow, that was amazing, you're, you know, I really liked what you did, you're really anointed, um, you're uh, special, you're kind of on the next level of, you know, worship, and all that stuff, so yes, in a way, I do remember hearing that and I do remember feeling pretty good about it, like I had anything to do with that if God would give me somewhat of an anointing. Was that your first time to hear that? Yes, of course, because I've never been in like these, let's say these circle of worshipers um, that that were like came in from all over Berlin or even from Germany uh, that would say these things, right? Like I've never been involved with this kind of language okay. or immersed in this mm-hmm. kind of language like as being mm-hmm. anointed usually it would be like wow you have a great voice you know it's very like really touched my heart that kind of thing mm-hmm. maybe more mm-hmm. yeah but that expression anointed came kind of with a different crowd it came with a different crowd with these worshipers and in this circle of the burn 24 7 yeah so but i've heard that expression for years especially from my mom kim so when you have been saying it kim what did you mean if you talked about someone being anointed. Yeah, I um, I had to think about that while Tila was talking. I realized I don't think I started using that word 
um, until I started attending a very charismatic mega church in the United States. And um, I just remember thinking if somebody led worship or spoke, and if I felt the Holy Spirit when they were leading, I just had an assumption that they were anointed. And I used that to mean that I thought they um, were really in touch with God, maybe having a good prayer life, like being like not trying to perform, um, but trying to please the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I would say, wow, that speaker or that worship leader is really anointed. And again, I don't know if that was because I heard that in the church setting I was in, or if I just started saying that on my own. I'm not really sure, but that's what I meant by it. Yeah, that makes sense. If you felt like the Holy Spirit was impacting the room, that you would equate that Mm -hmm. with anointing. Right. Right. So, Tilo, did you think that you had a special anointing, you'd been touched by God in a way that other people weren't? And if so, what did that mean to you? So, yeah, I felt, uh, of course, I felt good about it because if people come up to you after two hours of, let's say, musical worship and you pour your heart out and that's what I did, and maybe that's the key, what attracted people to my worship more than anything, that I would just like be so real and pouring out my heart and being myself and not worrying about what other people would think. That means sometimes I would sing spontaneous songs um, that came into my mind or from my heart as the Bible asks us to sing a new song unto the Lord. Um, So I did that quite often in my sets in English and in German. And people would come up to me and say specifically about these things, that they really liked what I was singing and they could um, see an anointing on me. And I mean, what it meant to me was basically that it confirmed me in what I was doing. Like that was my call to be this specific worship leader who is able to hear the Holy Spirit so clearly and the speaking of the Lord so clearly that I could just sing those words out like some of the prophets from the Bible. And I would actually compare myself to those musical prophets in the Old Testament that were um, in that prophet's school or um, university there and that were trained on the mountain and they all had like um, instruments, so I would basically be the same. I felt like I was one of them, right? So putting myself on the same level, maybe not, let's say, status, but on the same level in the same heart posture as these men that would just worship God, and in that worship, God would speak through them, and then they would go and have those prophetic utterances or whatever happened, you know, where King Saul, um, the first king of Israel, had his prophetic encounter where he was prophesying like like these prophets. And then they asked him, right, are you um, Saul among the prophets now? And he wasn't, but he was fell under the prophetic anointing, so to say, right? So, um, yes, for me, I felt very special about it. Like I did something for that. It's really funny. Again, like just hearing the word anointing, it's something, if anything, it's given to you done to you and you have nothing to do with that uh, in that sense but it's yeah looking back on um my i guess my heart and and how i felt about it was very proud 
And uh, you can imagine if I would sing a song that came to my mind at the end of one song, I would think, oh, maybe I should sing this known worship song next. And then I did that song and then my set ended and then someone would come up to me and saying, that happened so many times, seriously, um, that I was thinking of that same song just before you started singing it and then you started singing it. And for me, that gave me the impression that I was able to hear the Holy Spirit so clearly and um, I was so anointed and I was special and um, basically have a different status because these people would tell me I'm this different special status person, right? So whatever people told me, I started becoming and believing. Mm -hmm. And I would just like to add, I was one of those people that came up to you. Of course, yeah. That happened a lot. I, I just remember, I don't know that I thought you were so special. I was thinking, wow, Lord, that's amazing how you work, how the Holy Spirit works, that I wanted to sing that song and then he sang it. So just a bit different right. perspective, right. I guess. Of course, the people I know that people don't have any intentions to actually lift me higher than God. And I know... Most of those people probably had very pure intentions and were just complimenting and of encouraging and um, just loving on me too, right? Mm -hmm. Showing me that, oh, wow, this this was great, wasn't it? Right? Like, yes, mm -hmm. that was great, wasn't it? Right. So that kind of feel, you know, like saying thank you and shaking hands and having the connection with the person who just did this, you know, like with a famous musician or whatever. You want to see them, touch them, and then... It, I guess in a similar way, but what it does to me and what it did to me was um, it led me away from just pure intentions of, I just want to praise God, but no, I want to satisfy people's expectation next to worshiping God. I want to be an impressive worshiper. You know, that's what it did to my heart sure. over the years, throughout the years, mm -hmm. not right away, but of course it gives use something as a musician, mm -hmm. worshiper, anything that you do on stage or in front of people and people encourage you and recognize what you're doing is meaningful to them, it does something to you. But that could be the case if somebody used the word anointing or somebody used the word talented. Right. Or somebody said, I like that. And then another time they said, I didn't like that. I mean, it's kind of just human nature, right? The right. struggle within all of us that we have to overcome, mm -hmm. I think. So, Brianna, um, I was wondering if you could talk about what you see as the difference between anointing and being led by the Holy Spirit as you lead worship. Ooh, that's a tough question. Um, okay, but I think I would put it like this. I feel like the modern, let's say charismatic Christian, equates anointing with power. And I think there's an expression that's kind of been... Um, bounced around maybe for about 20 years or so, um, that you have to pay the price to become anointed. I believe it was Benny Hinn who said it. I'm not 100% sure. He's probably not the only one who said it, but maybe yeah, several people one have said it. One of the most famous ones. Um, you know, if you want the anointing, you have to pay the price. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so the implication is if you want a special status, you have to do something in order to receive it. Um, so weird. Whereas being led by the Holy Spirit, and we're talking specifically about worship, so I'll just stick with that, is I guess kind of just about 
putting performance aside and being willing to listen to the still small voice. And I mean, that is kind of the special experience of burn when you have that long two hour slot that you're leading. Um, it's really difficult to schedule two hours of music. <laughs> so at some point you have to correct me if I'm wrong, throw out the playbook essentially mm-hmm. and rely on the Holy Spirit to lead you mm-hmm. and to sing the songs he's longing to hear, right. you know, f- right. to himself, to his, unto his glory, unto their glory. Um, right. So I would say that's how, how I would see the difference between that's, anointing. And, I, that's excellent. I like what you said. And I hope this isn't off topic, but that brought to mind that Spurgeon was saved by a preacher. <laughs> he wasn't the, the main preacher. He just walked in and a little old man was up there and couldn't talk very well and didn't have a loud voice, didn't have the power, so mm-hmm. to speak. And um, that's how Spurgeon got saved. And so that, you know, that's right. It It's not... Um, it doesn't look a certain way mm-hmm. that the person is powerful, um, but the person is obviously surrendered. Has laid something down. Yes. Maybe their performance yes. or, right. uh, or they're just their schedule. But also, I mean, I think maybe we confuse talent and anointing or we use those words interchangeably. Yeah. You know, somebody who's a wonderfully talented speaker obviously has the power to move us in a way just through their talent that a non-talented speaker, like the the non-talented pastor who converted Spurgeon yes. couldn't move a room. We might more point our finger to the talented one and say, that's anointing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's talent. It's still God-given, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have quite the spiritual status and power that the idea of anointing sort of carries with it. Right. So power is uh, kind of a word for me that I find very interesting, uh, especially in the whole prosperity gospel movement that you see on TV in the States, which is very prominent. Of course, we talked about Benny Hinn a little bit. But um, I think it's interesting that they claim that word for themselves, that they are the anointed Mm -hmm. and do not touch, right? That's kind of the phrase, do not touch the Lord's anointed. And that's basically, was it the king back then that was that being said about in the Bible, or was it a prophet? So it's a king. And of course, you're going to go into that, right? King Saul. Um, But I think that's so interesting that they claim that word for themselves and that they are special and they're making themselves a certain status and that you are lower than them. And that is so unchristlike in my mind. If I just think about it, what Christ lived on earth, what an example he gave and how he said who is higher, who wants to be high in the kingdom of God or great, you should serve, you should be lower than anyone else, everyone else and do what I did, die, take up mm-hmm. your cross, you know, mm-hmm. and all these things from the New Testament. It's just amazing what Christ lived. And then what we see, the perverted opposite side of that now being promoted and it's so popular Mm-hmm. People love that and they believe it and they fall for it because they do not know the word of God. Yes, yes. So it's sad. It's just sad. Yes. So let me read to you. This is, I, I really think this is, the word anointing actually doesn't appear um, very often in the New Testament. It appears a lot in the Old Testament. But here's, I, I just, I think this is really good. It's from 1 John 2, 19 through 28. Um, and it starts a little bit, 
I'm pulling it a little out of context, but you'll Please see where, where it's going. So um, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you all have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise he made us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. And I love, I think that's, again, I think that the word anointing only appears aside from in the Gospels when it's specifically talking about Jesus being anointing, only appears um, two or three times in the New Testament. And every time, all those times aside from Jesus himself, it's talking about the whole body being anointed. Right. You are in Christ, therefore you are anointed. It isn't something special that you have to pay the price for that makes you more powerful or elevated above other people. Like you have a special gift or something that others don't have, and that's what the anointing means. Mm -hmm. You're anointed because of this gift? No, you're just anointed, period, because you're in Christ. Amen. So obviously you don't feel anymore that you're anointed, Tilo. Mm -hmm. So, But what brought you to that conclusion? How did you come, how did you change your way of thinking and start to see yourself as puffed up? Well, you know, there's a couple of things that happened in this last year. Um, just in this year, in the beginning of the year, we watched this documentary called The American Gospel. And that wasn't the beginning, but that was one of the main um, factors that brought me to look more into the Word um, and find out, right, about the Word anointing and if I'm anointed at all. Kind of questioned, I started questioning a lot of things. And I'm still in the process of kind of um, recuperating from that, um, finding myself in who I am in Christ and uh, not just identity, but just what I believe and why I believe it. And do I just take things for granted? So the American gospel helped um, in that way that exactly what we talked about with Benny Hinn uh, showed very clearly um, that that's so wrong to me and I've never seen it. And just them using the word, um, do not touch the Lord's anointed um, as a threat to others is such an abuse and misuse. And uh, so just got the ball rolling and I was talking to you, Bri, about it as well. I think uh, I don't believe in a special anointing anymore. I was kind of devastated myself because I thought I had something special and suddenly I didn't anymore. And I was shocked. <laughs> Yeah, of course you are. And you are, Tilo is a very talented worship leader. And I had to really chew on it for a couple of weeks, whether I agreed with him that anointing was being misused or not. And ultimately reading the Bible was what changed my mind. So, And it's so nice because it's so clear in the New Testament. 
and so clear what it's being used about in the Old Testament or used for in the Old Testament. So it was beautiful just to see the simplicity of the New Testament's um, statements about anointing and then just finding it was a corporate setting. It was for the corporate body of Christ uh, who who's immersed in him uh, that we are all anointed. Not one has more or less gifts or is better or lower. We're all the same basically in Christ's eyes. And that was just refreshing but devastating because <laughs> it was something that I was identifying myself with. I am this special, anointed, talented, powerful, powerful in God's Holy uh, Spirit, able to listen to the Holy Spirit uh, worshiper who's able to fill up a room in a second. That kind of thinking and, and was in my heart and my mind. And um, when that falls off of you, and I actually did not just think that and said, Brie, I think uh, there is no more anointing or I'm not anointed, but I actually repented actively in front of our home church, in front of uh, Brie as well, and said, this is, um, that was so wrong, what I was thinking, what I was doing. I know my heart very well that I was deceiving myself. I was lying to myself. I was um, thriving in it, um, but for the wrong reasons, right? Like I wasn't looking for God. I was looking for um, a comp, um, a special status. Special status, yeah. maybe. I was, yeah, uh, I was looking for self approval, approval from people more than anything. And of course, if I get the approval from people, for me, that meant I got approval from God through people. Mm, and of sure. course, that's how we're supposed to live, right? That's the Christian life. We're supposed to encourage each other. So there's, right. but there's a twist in it if you start becoming prideful. And I started to become prideful through it. And I'm still uh, dealing with that. But um, at least I'm aware of it now. And I think once I'm a, I was aware of it, uh, things started crumbling off of me. And again, it's very emotional because it's like a lifestyle that I've lived since 2002, if you can think about it, right? If you look back, that's 17 years of hearing, you're amazing, you're awesome, you're anointed, you're talented. Yeah, of course, you know, but especially the anointing thing, um, that is not easy to then see the biblical reality. It's like coming out of a cult, <laughs> right? That emotional, like leaving things behind that and you believe the wrong things for the wrong reasons. And that is hard. Mm -hmm. So here we go. Uh, I'm in the middle of it, but it's beautiful to live truthfully and biblically um, unto God. Mm -hmm. Amen. That's good. Thank you, Tilo. Um, <clears throat> you know, it seems to me that people are as much to blame by looking to the pastors and worship leaders as if they are something rather than keeping the focus on Jesus. I agree with that. I, I think that that's the other the twist that's in it. When they think this person has a special power, and maybe because they paid the price or they read the Bible more than me, or because they're just special, then where they're trying to uh, abide in their pastor's teaching or in their worship leader's worship rather than abiding in Christ and in the right, Word, right? Right, right. Yeah. And it's sad, as, as Tilo said earlier. It's sad that we're not reading our Bibles. 
Yes. That's the problem. It's like, read the Bible. You can see it. There is no precedent in whatsoever of being anointed in the sense what we're using or have been using in the charismatic circles. There's no such thing in the New Testament or in the Old. Well, there is the precedent of the prophets in the Old Testament. We'll talk about it a little bit. Interestingly, they were not anointed. They were not called the anointed prophets, right? The priests were anointed and the kings were anointed. Right. The prophets weren't anointed. They were the doing the anointing. They're the ones they, that walked up to them and said, yeah. you're the king, so yeah. I anoint you yeah. with this oil. Here, give me the flask of oil, put it over that person's mm-hmm. head, and that was the mm-hmm. anointing, physical oil. And what was the definition of the anointing for a king or a priest? Or a holy object right. or a place that it was consecrated wholly before the Lord, which explains what anointing means, why the whole body of Christ is anointed through the blood of Christ, We are consecrated, set aside, made holy for God. Mm -hmm. And that's why they anointed priests and kings and objects, Mm -hmm. bodies for burial, and special places of worship. It strikes me that, is it possible that some people are just lazy? (laughs) Maybe they'd rather have an anointed pastor who does all the work, so to say, does all, and they can just follow along. Yeah, I mean, people brag about their pastors. (laughs) You know, oh, you should hear my amazing anointing pastor teach. And they wear their church on their lapel, Mm -hmm. almost Mm -hmm. like that gives them a special status. Yes. Um, Yes, rather than plugging in themselves, as Tilo said, to the Word of God, to prayer, to a one-on-one relationship with the Lord themselves which is what God wants for all of us. For all right. of us. Right. Yep. I mean, another crazy thing that we've uh, talked about earlier, a little bit about the worship leader um, and about anointing, um, was really just the thought of it. Maybe let me just give you the premise of it. We can talk about it a little bit. Um, about the worship leader that he's literally seen in the charismatic uh, scene and uh, more or less uh, Holy Spirit influenced, uh, who cares? The worship leader is literally seen as the one who ushers in the presence of God in this place where they're worshiping and then leads the worshipers into the presence he just ushered in. So the whole congregation basically follows the worship leader into the presence of God. He And he's the, basically the middleman. And that thought is a true thought in the charismatic circle. It's very real. I experienced it so many times that, um, let's say, the pressure and the expectation that was put on me during those worship times when I was asked, let's say, at a worship conference or just like a conference or a service or a prayer and worship time, um, I was specifically asked to come because they knew through me, the presence of the Lord would be ushered in through my worship. Just, and that thought is so ridiculous if you think about it in biblical terms, right? That the worship leader nowadays is kind of like a mediator, a middleman between God using the Holy Spirit and men. So you become like a Messiah figure, like a high priest, so to say, even though there is no only one high priest left who is Christ himself, right? The last and perfect high priest, and we don't need any other. Um, that is one of the, yeah, just the thoughts that we had or I had 
And um, let's talk about this. On to be the devil's advocate, it popped into my mind um, in Psalms. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And um, so there is a, a part of coming before him. We do want to do it with praise. We do want to do it with worship. Everybody should have a posture of worshiping and praising whether there's a worship leader up there or not, and not depending on somebody to do it. But it's important that we do have that in our minds, that when we come before him, it is with worship and thanksgiving. I I think the misconception is not the value of the worship. The misconception is that the presence of God ever leaves us or needs to be ushered in or that we need someone to help us to go to God. That's the problem with it. Right. 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 Because Jesus, like he said, we only need the high priest. That's the whole purpose of the high priest, right? To bring you into the presence or you can't go. So he goes for you. But like Tilo said, once we all have Jesus and he's that mediator, we are in him. So we are in the presence of God all the time. Amen. And so the idea that we can come out of it or go into it or someone can bring it to us is really what the problem is. I would say, more than the idea that the worship is important. Right. Because it is important, for sure. And you remember, girls, right? What? We had so many songs that we sang where we say, Holy Spirit come, Holy Spirit dwell. Mm -hmm. And there is a point to it, too, right, where people ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then you could say, yes, Holy Spirit come, because I don't have you yet, or we need you in that sense. But... If you already have been, if you're born again, let's say you have the baptism of the Spirit and you're in this place of worship after 20 years of being a Christian and you're still saying, Holy Spirit, come, then something in my mind now, even more so, rather than back then, uh, is something is wrong. Something is truly wrong because you don't understand that you're in the Holy Spirit. He is inside of you. That's just a scriptural reality that we can hold on to and just know. It's like, that's the encouraging thing. Like, I moved in, so I'm here. I'm, you don't have to ask me to come. So what are they actually asking for? And well, that's they're the problem. asking for a manifestation. So what is that manifestation then? What does it look like? Does it feel like something? Does it sound like something? Does it smell like something? Does it taste like, you know, that's the thing. Like, we're looking for an experience. So when we say, or when they we said... We want to enter in the presence of God. It's basically a feeling of something that we corporately experience, like, I don't know, like a wind rushing through the audience Mm -hmm. or like everyone has goosebumps or some people are falling down. Some people, everyone starts crying. So that's what we think that the Holy Spirit is exclusively or the presence of God. And that's what we're looking for the whole time, especially when worship leaders, as, as I said, are ushering in the presence of God. If this feeling comes then into the crowd through the songs, through the singing, let's say three, four songs in, suddenly we all feel this thing, whatever it is. And that, that's what we call the presence of God. So maybe it's a peace and we can say, yes, God, God is peace. And maybe that's what we're feeling. But is that what we're then calling the exclusive presence of God? I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with most of that, to be from my perspective. I guess that 
it's wrong when we think we need another human being to administer it to us. That's right. And I think it's wrong if um, that's all we want and we just go from that to that to that and... Yeah, and we're not reading the Bible or or if those experiences teach us something that isn't biblical, then it's wrong. But I wouldn't just broad, broad, broad strokes say all those experiences are not good and they're not from the Lord, myself. Yeah, I agreed. I, I do believe that the it says the Lord delights to hear the praises of his children. Mm-hmm. And he there's a beautiful one in the Psalms where it says he's dancing in the midst of our praise. So I do think there are many times when we do feel his peace, we feel his joy, we feel his presence, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we feel his glory, but I believe that's when we're truly praising him from our heart that that happens. So when, when, and that's an interesting topic to me as a worshiper now, especially with a a newfound perspectives and um, theological findings of our last month and conversations we had, especially about the experiencing Joy, yes. Peace, yes. But when I hear experiencing the glory of God, I can only think of the biblical version of what glory actually means. And it was never never just a nice feeling that people had. I mean, there well, were... Like, Moses, I mean, right? Like, Moses uh, got to eat a meal with God on a mountain. Mm-hmm. They fellowshiped with a meal and God's glory came. There's different, wasn't just mm-hmm. where he slayed them with fire. There was fellowship. That's his glory. Mm-hmm. And he said, show me your glory. And I mean. And he d- did show him his behind, so to say. That's because he's. Right, because he we can't, we can't contain. So, yeah. But I mean, to imply that people's experiences in corporate worship with the Holy Spirit are only positive is also wrong. I mean, I know myself that I've been in times of worship where I know the Holy Spirit is manifesting, is moving. And, uh, you know, it can be painful because sometimes you see something about yourself or you need to come to repentance. Or like the word says, you might realize that, you know, you have something against a Christian brother and you need to apologize or you need to forgive. So I don't think anyone thinks that it's just a positive I mean, ultimately, that is a positive experience, repentance, but... Right. Yeah. But generally, it's understood that that's the main factor and where you said that's wrong if that's the only thing that we're looking for is the experience and not the holistic view of um, we want to hear the preaching of the word, we want to pray together, we uh, are breaking bread together, we have a fellowship community, but we're literally coming here just to experience the presence of God, the joy, the peace, and whatever, and see the manifestations happen. And that's when a successful service and a wonderful service happen. And if it's less, we're not even looking for less. That's kind of the expectations of um, the charismatic church, like especially about the experiencing experiencing God rather than knowing God through the word, knowing God through uh, the fellowship, um, it's kind of a limited version of it and becomes then obviously deprived of all these other wonderful things as well. I mean, I guess the question mark for me would be, you know, say you have somebody in this wonderful, lively, vibrant church and they're going from Sunday to Super Sunday. <laughs> if you plucked that person out and 
put them down, um, you know, on the mission field in, let's just say, Africa, and they don't have a body anymore. They have two or three believers that they meet with, and does their faith survive? If yes, then I would say there wasn't anything wrong. But if not, then something was wrong, either in their motivation or in, yeah, their knowledge of God or, you know what I mean? I don't want to vilify all charismatic churches with mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit moving, you know what I mean? I wouldn't, I just wouldn't want to put that on a body. I guess it's each individual person mm-hmm. and their mm-hmm. response and as well the leadership and is the leadership saying you could only have this experience because of us or is the leadership saying, you know, you have this experience because of Christ and mm-hmm. you can have it yourself mm-hmm. at home in your living room. Mm-hmm. I remember, I do remember and I believe it was good. Um, you go through a work week, you've been battered by the world, you're you're uh, working with people that don't know God, you go to church on Sunday, you go into praise and worship, and you get your cup filled back up, you get refreshed. Um, I don't think I was seeking a feeling, I was just thanking God for His presence, for who he is, that he's in my life, that I have him and mm-hmm. ready to go back out and, and face the world, so to speak. So, yes, I agree. So during the week, there was no, not one of those moments that you had on Sunday as well. It's just well, on Sunday. Well, when you are corporate, I believe it says in the Bible, Forsake not the gathering of yourself together. And Mm -hmm. I believe there's a special blessing when we come together with our brothers and sisters. Um, But of course, that doesn't have to be. As Bree said, you can be on a mission field. And God has been strongest to me in the darkness, in the dark days of Berlin with nobody. He's been so strong in my life. But that's not to say corporate Mm -hmm. worship Mm -hmm. is wrong. Mm -hmm or can't um, be a blessing to people. Right. And I think there's so much about it, I I believe as well, that it's a heavenly thing that's happening on earth. We know from Revelations that worship is not just a um, thing that we do on earth, but is constantly going on in heaven, which is beautiful. So that's That's what we're doing, not copying, but doing here. And there is something about it that the Lord enjoys us worshiping him, praising him, and I still believe that, and that he as well gives back in return and shows us that he delights in us. So we each shared some of our experiences. This was kind of a hard topic for us because even um, coming into this, we each had a different perspective, and we found that we still didn't even really know what we thought about the topic of anointing, and we had to chew on it and debate about it a lot. Um, yeah, but I feel like we, um, have come to a place where we understand each other and we're excited that we are all anointed. And in fact, we're encouraged to go on, uh, knowing that, yeah, that we do equally have the power of God and that God will use us and that he is using us. And we don't need that status or people to tell us, right, Tilo? Right. <laughs> um, And as Kim testified, being in the word, knowing him, hearing his voice, it trumps the flesh Mm -hmm. and it gives you the strength to um, 
to be steadfast and to go on with a pure heart. That's right. And it's all about having a relationship with Jesus. Amen. That's the most important thing. And that's what he wants. He wants us. When I'm going back to talking about pray without ceasing, it's not a formula from God. It's him crying out, I want a relationship with you. Talk to me about everything. Stay in communication with me. Um, so I think if we keep moving, trying to move away from formulas um, and keep bringing that word relationship, that will help give us a right perspective of right. these issues. And keep us from the thinking that we need an elevated man or woman to usher us into greater places, which is just a lie. That's right. That's it's right. just a trap. That's right. The cool thing is it already happened through Christ. Abide in Christ. He already did it. Yep. He's the one who ushered us in and is our middleman, our high priest and savior. It's beautiful. It's That's beautiful. right. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. And we hope to see you next time at 3 Talk Truth. We hope you hear us next time. Hear us. See us. <laughs> Anyways. Ha, 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 ha.